Hello, I'm John Maytham, and welcome to another episode of PageCast, a wonderful resource put up by Jonathan Ball, where you get to hear all sorts of interesting things about interesting books and interesting writings, interesting authors, and all sorts of interesting things related to the literary world. Chatting this morning with Sarah Lotz, living in Wales at the moment after some years in South Africa. In those two geographies, she's established a a very good global reputation for wonderful and intriguing writing. And her latest book is called Impossible. This isn't a love story. This is impossible. And it tells the story of Nick and Bee, or two Nicks and two Bees. And they kind of meet and become completely and utterly enchanted with each other as a result of a, a happenstance, an email which arrives in the wrong place. And they agree to meet and they each of them goes to the meeting place at the meeting time and neither can see the other. What has happened? Sarah, good, hello. Hello. Hi, John. Thank you so much for having me today. Great pleasure. I mean, I was absolutely fascinated by, by, by the premise of this book. And I know it's a little bit of a spoiler, but I think it's an important spoiler for the rest of our conversation. The reason that Nick and B don't meet is because they are in different universes. I mean, how would you, how would you sort of characterize the difference between the universes they're in? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a difference of time. No, it's not. It's a difference of they're in different universes. Yes, so they're in uh, different universes that um, are very, very similar, but do have some differences, mostly political and environmental. So when they first start talking, um, because the um, their, their universes are so similar, at first when they start he- uh, hearing from each other slight discrepancies, they just sort of brush them off and think, oh, that's a typo. For example, um, Bee's world is very much like our own, um, with um, unfortunately things like Brexit and the climate crisis and Trump, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And Nick's isn't. So, for example, when Bee mentions Brexit, he thinks it's a typo and assumes it's biscuit or whatever. So, um, but yeah, they are they are different in that um, Nick's world is a very green world. So they address just after Chernobyl happened in in his world, they address the sort of uh, ecological crisis, whereas B world B's world didn't. So um, one's a kind of I would say almost a semi-ish, not a utopia, but it's you know slightly more successful. And B's world is you know pretty much like our own, which is you know heading for a kind of titanic moment i'm always fascinated with with books generally but books of this sort of interesting really intriguing plot line. i'm always interested in in how the idea arrives what it is can you pinpoint a moment at which this became an idea which was then worked on and has resulted in the pages that i'm holding in front of me at the moment I think it was to do with um, thinking about love stories and every great love story has an, an, uh, an obstacle, you know, to keep them apart. If you think about, uh, for example, uh, an affair to remember, for example, or Notting Hill, you know, she's a, 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 a top actor. He's, a, you know, a lowly bookseller, you know, in Notting Hill, you know, not that that's very lowly, but there you go. And um, so I was thinking, what would be the biggest obstacle I could come up with, almost like a challenge? 
and um then i thought well the biggest obstacle was is if they are actually in um different universes and different realities and different worlds how in the heck would i ever get them together so i was kind of it was like a challenge really like an intellectual exercise will they ever get together over this impossible obstacle i'm not going to tell you if they do or not obviously but um and then also thinking well if what would i do if i was in that situation so i've met someone online who i've kind of fallen for i've discovered that i can't actually be with them and then i thought well you know well what if i could track down the version of that other person in my reality and then i could i could almost get dating advice from the other person you know like sort, sort of like super insider information um but of course the whole uh, one of the premise the premise of the book is of course that even though we are um you know it's nature versus versus nurture to some extent so we are we could might be the same people but our upbringings and our environment will change us as people so the versions of nick and b in the alternate realities are very subtly different to the versions of themselves your mind does work in wonderful and mysterious <laughs> ways <Sarah. laughs> oh dear um i'm i'm sort of little doubtful about the whole notion of genre anyway but it, it is useful uh, what, what do you mean by doubtful well in in the sense that um i don't like to pigeonhole books because a, a lot of the books oh, that i really like which would appear for example in the thriller section of a bookshop um i i think are literary novels with a thriller element rather than thrillers mm-hmm. um but they are useful because you most people prefer one or two genres over the others that are available. So I suppose it's useful to to know roughly where to go in a bookshop or a library when you enter. But, but thinking about the genre of this, because so you have written what might be called speculative fiction before, mm-hmm. um, and, and this is speculative because the idea of two different universes is a speculation. It's a philosophical, it's a scientific speculation. But it's mm-hmm. not it's not science fiction, science faction in the way that one would ordinarily think of those books. Yes, and I, I um, thank you for saying that about genre, by the way, because I, um, I it's how I feel. I, I I find it very difficult as a writer being pigeonholed, because I mean I'm probably best known for writing horror mm. um, for my sins, and so th- when this one came about. It was, I thought, oh, how am I going to spin this into a horror? And then when the characters came alive, they actually were like, well, no, we don't want to be a horror. We want to be a rom-com. And I'm like, oh, God, can I can I write a rom-com? I don't know. Let's give it a go. Um, so it uh, and then sort of when and I, I at the time, I didn't have a contract when I was writing this, which was very freeing. So I could write what I liked. I wasn't writing to any expectations. So the book was able to turn into what it could be. And, it, and, you know, that, like I said, the characters, I know it sounds a bit mad, but the characters sort of demanded um, this is what this story should be. Um, Can so I, I didn't have to worry about yeah. pigeonhole. Sorry, yeah, carry on. No, because I've been interviewing authors, many of them, for 30 years. And so many of, of them have told me that, that mm-hmm. um, they, have, they might have a particular idea for how the character is going to develop. And the character says no. As, as you've just described now with your characters. We don't want to be in a horror book. We want to be in a rom-com book. And it's quite hard for people 
who are not writers. I'm not a writer. Many of the people who will read your book might want to be writers, but they're not writers. And that's quite a difficult concept for them to wrap their heads around, that the character rather than the author, to some extent, and in some books I'm told, to a very large extent, determine what happens. Yeah, absolutely. It is, um, it is, it is a weird thing. Um, you know, it's um, that kind of... <sighs> And it's very difficult to talk about without, like, like I said, sounding a bit sort of uh, loopy. Sound but, as loopy as you like. <laughs> but um, for me, it's it, the um, it is all about character. Everything is about character. It's if you don't get your characters right and they don't pop to life, you know, almost that you know, if Nick and B pitched up in a crowd, I'd be able to pick them out. I would know, you know, I see them so clearly and I hear them so clearly. Um, if um, so, you can have as much plot as you like. You can have as much story as you like. You can have a great concept, high concept or whatever. But if your characters don't come to life, people won't care. So um, when they came to life, and it was, you know, I was thinking, gosh, I'm going to really give them a hard time here. And they were like, um, no, actually, we're going to have some fun. We're going to, we want to go on this fun ride. I mean, there are some slightly heavy topics that pop up here and there, but this is like a huge departure for me and it was actually a little bit scary doing it in a sense it was great fun writing it but also scary because it was such a departure and I had absolutely no idea how anyone was going to take it I mean it's uh it's I think it's and I I agree with you I think in terms of um writers and publishers uh I mean readers and publishers to a certain extent um people do prefer it when you stay in your lane because then you can be categorized so Mm. It's, um, oh, great, we're going to, um, here's another thriller. I read crime fiction, so here's, I'm going to read crime fiction, or I, I'm into romance. I, you know, I'm going to go into that genre. And this book I've found is quite interesting that the, um, the American publishers, for example, are, are very much gone sort of this pushing the sci-fi route with it. And on the back of the book, it's, um, they give away the spoiler in the blurb. Or, and I'm, I mean, I, th- I think it is because, like, after Trump, the Americans just do not like surprises. So it's like, <laughs> let's lay it out right away. And I think, in, but the Brits are very different. So that is, it's very much saying up front that it's sort of, it's, it's very much being pushed as humorous fiction and as a romantic comedy and a love story. And that's been very yeah. interesting to me, that kind of discrepancy between the two sort of um, publishing worlds. I, I must confess that I, as a reader, I get quite cross when <laughs> when writers step, <laughs> step out of their lane. Initially, I, I get cross. Yes. Um, I mean, a, a lot of people who've written a lot of novels about the same character, after a period, most of them, after eight or nine or ten in the series featuring <laughs> whoever it is, a lot of them get a bit bored and they start to write standalone novels. Um, I've just read um, Harlan Coben's latest book. And mm. I, I'm always cross with him when he doesn't write a Myron <laughs> when he doesn't write a Myron Bolotar novel because I really really love Myron Bolotar as as a character and I love the people who accrete around him. Mm. But then you've got to kind of you, you've got to say right, okay, I'm angry, but now I've got to open my mind. What is on the page? What am I responding to? And and I mean, if you hold that prejudice by page fifty, then probably the writer hasn't done a very good job. But I find myself a lot of the time by page two going, okay, this is good. I'm going to go with it. Yeah, like kind of grudgingly going, all right, then. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think you do, to a certain extent, feel like slightly egotistical when you do step out the lane. It's like, oh, so you think you can do this, do you? 
um and you know i i i, I do that quite often which is um and I, but again like i say it's it's it is to do with the story mm. um and what what it demands to be how it demands to be told it's like it's really and it sounds like an absolute cop out but that is genuinely how I feel about it. Um, I mean, certainly, I think if I was writing a long-running series, I would absolutely 100% want to, you know, be uh, <laughs> be offing my character, my main character, so I could move on to something else. But then I, I, I totally get, as a reader, I'm with you. Mm. I'm like, I want to, I want to dive into that comforting sort of world of the uh, the long-running series and the uh, because you just know where you are. Yeah. Uh, the the two universes make absolute sense in the book from page one to whatever the number is of the last page i absolutely will once it once it becomes clear what's happening that they are these two different universes i'm absolutely convinced by it i at no stage do i go oh this is rubbish oh this is not possible i just, <laughs> I just buy the premise that on the pages of this book, this is possible, even though, you know, the title of the book says impossible. I go, okay, and and I just go along with it for the ride. And at, at no stage do you sort of inject any conversations that you might have had with uh, scientist philosophers or quantum or string theory people. But I wonder if you, if you did talk to people who professionally think about these things, about the possibility of alternate universes and so on, and get some sense from them of how it might operate, because they've been thinking about it in theoretical conceptual terms, you want to make it work, and you do in literary terms. Well, I did. I did a lot of reading. And I'm, when I um, a few years ago, I wrote a book called The Three, yep. which also in some way um, touches on on the sort of um, idea of the multiverse and um, and it is it, I'm not going to say it's an accepted scientific theory because it isn't it's still it is still very much um, speculative at the moment and I would love to say that I absolutely 100% understand it but um, unfortunately I'm not intelligent enough to be able to, to you know to do such a deep dark dive into it that I um, uh but I can do it on a on a surface level, and I would love to think that it exists. And that's part of what this is about, isn't it? It's a certain level of wish fulfillmentness that you you think, well, yeah. if I had an alternative self, what would she or they or he be doing right now? If I'd have taken that slightly different path, is it at all possible? I think you know. Um, so yeah, I did I did tons and tons of reading um, about it. But one of the things actually it was my daughter. Um, he said to me, just be careful, mom, with this. It's like you can bog this down with loads and loads of very heavy scientific theories. I mean, B and Nick, when they're talking, do discuss it to a certain extent, but they discuss it as lay people would discuss it. Yeah. So you get a very surfacey thing. The minute you go a very deep dive with it, you're going to end up um, being in the, in the land of huge plot holes. <laughs> sort of yeah. you know you can go very very complicated and it wasn't that type of book um the three was to to more of an extent i think that's more of a sort of a, more of a speculative what ify story um in that sense but this one needed to be kept light-hearted and a little bit pithy and a little bit escapist yeah um there are certain people and uh, jeffrey diva is one who comes immediately to mind sorry diva fans 
but uh, that's Jeffrey Diva, not uh, Madonna mm. Diva or any one of the other divas. Uh, they, they, do show, <laughs> they do show off their research. They put it on the pages of the book and they kind of proudly proclaim, look how, look how deeply I've researched this particular topic. Mm. And, and you don't. I mean, it's, um, it's a work of the imagination, completely and wholly and credibly. The sort of basic premise on which the relationship starts, I, I think everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people will have had that experience of getting to know somebody really well without physically meeting them. I've, I've not had the experience romantically or erotically, but I have had the experience of, and, I, and I'm still in conversation with, with listeners who I've never met, listeners to the radio show, that I've never met and probably will never meet. But the emails that we exchange with each other are quite personal and not intimate in in that sense of intimate, but they're intimate in that we share ideas and we share our lives to a certain degree. Mm. So, it, you know, this happens. This is one of the things that the Internet and email and other means of channeling communication have done for us, made this sort of thing probable, certain. Yes, and I think, um, especially like nowadays, that is a completely viable way of meeting someone. I call it getting to meet someone from the inside out. So... Um, before you sort of met in person and you've got the body language down and all that kind of stuff, you're kind of almost seeing inside their brain. I think it, to some extent it can be a less guarded sort of um, encounter. But what, what really kind of um, intrigued me was that I, t I totally um, believe that, that it can happen. I've seen it happen. My, my brother and his amazing wife, met completely online years ago and had an incredibly successful relationship. But at the time I was writing it, my friends who were um, single didn't believe that you could fall in love with people online. There were, there were two, two of them, I won't give their names, but they were, um, they were like, no, I don't believe that you can fall in love like this. And I'm like, well, why not? So I was trying to dig deep with them to, to figure out, but it was quite interesting to me because I think it's... Um, uh, uh, that you know that's that sort of difference with different people so the, so the challenge for the book was whether you believe that can happen or not is I had to make it convincing whether I believed it or whether they didn't believe it I had to make it convincing for the reader so that they would get it so they would say okay so B and Nick have never met online they decide that they don't want to swap photos or anything like that and they get to the point where they think this is the one for me let's meet and in, you know, sort of prefer to remember style under the clock at Eastern Station will be the first time they see each other in person. And to make that convincing, to build that up, that build up that tension where, oh, gosh, they're finally going to meet. Yay. And then obviously, you know, they can't because they're in different universes. Yeah, I at that moment where we're swapping from B's perspective to Nick's perspective and each each goes, I've done the right thing. I'm here in the right place at the right time. Where is the other? And because I had, I, I tried not to find out anything about the book before starting to read it. What then happened, the discovery of the alternative universes, was a complete surprise to me. And, and I, my, my mind, Sarah, was going completely crazy trying to work <laughs> out what had happened because I, I knew it wasn't going to be something I knew it had to be something other than a simple mistake in terms of deciding on the day and the place and the time. It had to be something more like that, more than that. And my mind is whirling at 10,000 kilometers per second trying to work out <laughs> what it is. And there is the neat, tidy, credible and very sad, 
very, very sad um, reason why they are not able to meet. What, what, there was no point at which, you, at which you thought, let's make it easy for them to meet. It had to be a struggle. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, that's the whole, like I said before, yeah. it's like the whole, the whole thing of a rom-com or a, um, uh, a, a love story is you have to have that, that huge obstacle. It has to be about the journey. Are they going to get together? You know, whether they hate each other or in their, you know, different geographical locations or one's the boss of the other, you know, we all know the, the trope. So it was playing with that, with that sort of idea. Um, and absolutely you couldn't, uh, it, it couldn't be easy for them. But the other thing is, it's like they both have stumbled onto, you know, this incredible miracle to a certain extent. And what I always found quite funny about, about the book was instead of sort of, you know, um, using this to do something good in the world, they are using what they stumbled upon as um, really just to date each other. <laughs> I just thought, wow, I think that's quite a human thing. You know, it's just like, wow, we've been, we've encountered this incredible thing, but we're not going to uh, sort of try and change yeah. the world for it in, in a better way. Let, we're just the world, yeah, let the world <laughs> save itself. We are going to save our love affair. Yeah, I think most people would, would think that. There are, it, it seems to me that there are different ways of ending the book. There are different ways of resolving the attempts that they try to make to track um, the avatar of the other in the world in which the universe in which they exist. How much did you wrestle with um, how happily, unhappily, um, how resolved, unresolved am I going to finish this? Um, I personally think that it's, um, it's resolved. I personally um, say it's a happy ending. I think it's a, that it's the best outcome that uh, anyone could expect um but of course no spoilers there um but yeah i knew i knew that there would have to be i mean this is a romantic comedy you cannot have a romantic comedy um without a resolution and without a happy ending it's not um it's not a nicholas sparks book where they you know it's it, it is a it's a romantic comedy so but so that was the challenge how to do that um a convincingly and b um you know so you when you close the book, you're like, okay, I, now I can sort of, if, if I choose to, I can picture me and Nick carrying on with their lives to a certain extent. You know, I'm, again, no spoilers, but there, there is a bit of a twist to it. But getting up to that point was, um, was, was, quite a, was quite a journey in terms of um, thinking about it and plotting and figuring out. And it, it, was, it was great fun, but it was, it was a bit like a mental Sudoku. Mm. I wondered about that and whether you whether you do that in the mind or on the page or both you go right let me try this right 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 read mm, no it doesn't work let me try the other dear right 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 read 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 mm, this one works a little better so let me refine this one I do it by um boring my friends and family basically <laughs> like and I just say how about this and I will literally just you know sort of at any point in the day while they're all doing something I'll walk in I'll go I think they should do this and then people they'll just have to listen to me like my friends uh, my friends Paige Nick and Helen Moffat who also edited um, uh, both editions of the book are like so um, I mean I'm, I must I've turned the hair white with it you know, and it's great to have that person that you can bounce the, 
you can talk about so I talk I talk it through yeah. you know that's that's how I do it. I bore people basically and then by doing that I eventually get to the point where I'm like okay and that's only then do I put it down on the page okay uh, you, you said something interesting there or potentially uh, you said that Paige and Helen had edited both editions of the book so oh, so so Helen yeah Helen did the uh, not uh, so Helen in, did in the, the sense um, the copy edit copy edit of the book of um of both editions so she did the um so i have a american editor and then a british editor and then helen came and did the copy edits with both and she was and she's i've worked with her obviously collaborated with her before she's also edited um uh, a fair few of my other books so that was wonderful because you you know you're, you're in completely safe hands and yeah. she's um fa- fabulous at that and just slaps me down when i'm <laughs> Okay, I I over-interpreted. I thought there might be that the Americans wanted a slightly uh, different edition um, because we know that they they have different covers, they have different titles. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, But essentially, once you begin reading from word one to word the end, they are the same books. Oh, they're the same. They've just got um, uh, different, you know, obviously the American spelling and all all of that stuff. And I mean, the American readers are, um, there's a lot of um, things like some sort of northern expressions that pop up, which, uh, you know, like daft uh, daft apers and things. So they question that, the Americans, obviously, Uh it's like, so... Does, would that make sense to an American reader? And, and Miranda, the American editor, was yeah, yeah, why not? Which was great. So I was very, I was very fortunate to have such a great team on this. Yeah, and that, the the one of the other elements in the book which you mentioned earlier is the nature versus nurture. That mm. if you you have the same genetic structure, genetically you mm. are the same person. But because you grow up in universe A or universe B, that potentially has an impact on the adult Nick, the adult B that you become. And again, it's a debate which you leave to the reader to think mm. through. You, again, you don't, um, you don't sort of batter them with the science on the subject, but it is a really intriguing topic. And, and when you can access that topic in a readable way in a book, um, it's another win for the reader, I think. Well, it was it was actually quite fun thinking about it. So Nick um, is in his his reality. He's a failed writer, which I loved writing about because a lot of my books have completely bombed, like massively crashed and burned. So it was really cathartic writing that writing about that. It was like, yay, finally. Um, and then, but his alter ego in the other universe didn't give up um, when his first novel. Uh, sort of crashed and burned he carried on and actually became very successful so that was very interesting because Nick ends up being quite envious of his um, alter ego who's a successful writer Um, and that was great fun to to look into and you know uh, and and think about and then uh, in terms of B um, she's a woman who um, has decided to be child free. She's very happy with that, with that decision. And she thinks that's who's part of who she is. And then she discovers that her alter ego has taken a a path. She never thought she herself, her true self, the person she thinks she is would ever take. So, you know, it's sort of like looking through these windows at the alternate version of yourself and thinking, wow, I would never have done that. I would never have made that choice. Um, who who am I actually? So it's looking at the nature of 
uh, yourself as well, that, you know, which was terrific fun to do. Talking about terrific fun, it was terrific fun to read. It really is one of the most enjoyable books that I've read this year, and I suspect that in December I will be saying the same thing about it. Um, the reviews that I've read have been very, very positive. I don't think I've seen a book for a long time with as many positive shouts from other writers. Um, and the thing about shouts, for, for people that don't know what a shout is, it's when another author says, this is a, a racy read, blah, 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 and it's fantastic and you must read it. And often you get a sense that um, this is somebody in the same writing stable who's been asked to do a shout, and because they're in the same publisher's stable, they, they oblige. And you can hear that, or you can read that they haven't fully committed themselves to the opinion they're expressing. But each one of these <laughs> is, is just so obviously genuine. All of these mostly women writers love this book. And I love this book. And it's not a book for women. It is a book for readers, whether they are old or young or male or female. So that said, now that you're having, and I'm pretty certain that this is not a book that is going to bomb at all, what's next? I mean, do you go, right, I can do it, so let me try it again, or I've satisfied myself that I can do it, so let me get back into my lane, or let me try something else completely different? Um, I think it's probably going to be try something else completely different. Um, again, like I say, it's like I, I, I didn't um, I didn't intend to write a romantic comedy. <laughs> and um, so in terms of what's next, I'm sure it will it will end up really annoying readers and publishers alike because it will be something um, out. You know, I, I really wish I had the nouse to stay in my lane um, because it, it is uh, it is going to become a problem, I think, in the future. But um, that said, um, this writing this book was, um, I absolutely loved every minute of it. And it was actually written during lockdown. So um, when we know, every, you know, how appalling it was for everyone. And it was, um, you know, have, having the huge privilege of the, being able to escape into, into a, a book like this was, was just fantastic. So, but um, yeah, I can't tell you what's next because um, I don't know. You genuinely don't. They're, they're not, there's not one idea out of all of the ideas that are always whirling around in any writer's head. There isn't any one that has a more magnetic force at the moment. But I can't, you see, I, um, I always follow Stephen King's advice. And Stephen King, in on writing, says, do not talk about your ideas because they will lose their power. And he's absolutely ah, right. Ah. <laughs> the minute you start splurging about um, what you're doing, and da, 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 they do kind of sort of dribble down the drain a bit. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say anymore, I'm afraid. And, and also because what, what if I do and it doesn't work out? Then everyone's going to think I'm rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'm John Matham. I've been talking to, to Sarah Lotz. Her book is called Impossible. It is impossible to put down. It really is one of those books that once you start, you get gripped almost immediately and you resent any interruption of your reading. Sarah, thank you very, very much. Thank you very much, John. It was wonderful to talk to you. There will be um, another episode of PageCast. It drops every Monday morning at 9 a.m. And you can catch all of the other episodes of PageCast on any good podcasting series. Bye-bye.